John 21, beginning at verse 1. This is God's holy and infallible word. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. It's a very appropriate summertime uh, type of miracle, I think. There's a, it's a nice fishing account. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. That's God's word for us tonight. There is a partial outline if you find that helpful. And I'll give you the first, the first line there so you get at the theme and the main idea of the sermon. It's how Jesus is at the center of the mission of the church. How Jesus is at the center of the mission of the church. And I said that this, this sermon tonight, this text brings us also to the mission of the church. And we were there this morning in 2 Corinthians, and, and I want to show you how that's the case here tonight too. This is the last miracle in the book of John. It's the last chapter of the book of John. There's some Bible scholars who have questioned this last chapter of the book. They, claimed, they claim maybe it was added on later by someone other than John, even though the very earliest copies of the Gospel of John have always included chapter 21. But they do that because there's something odd about it. And even the average reader can see it. You might not see it because we didn't, uh, we didn't read the end of chapter 20. But the end of chapter 20 seems like it ends the book perfectly. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We've referenced that a number of times in this miracle series. Just before that perfect ending to the book, we've got Thomas's, doubting Thomas's confession of faith. And it, it would seem like a great climax to this book that's all about faith and belief in Jesus. But then we got this other chapter. 
What more could John have to say? The only other thing you could think of is the ascension. To tell, tell his readers that Jesus then ascended in heaven. But, but we don't have that anywhere in this chapter. Now, every other gospel writer gives us a version of the great commission at the end. We're most familiar with one in Matthew 28. But Mark does it too in Mark 16. Luke does it at the beginning of his second book, at the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1. But we haven't heard anything like that in John yet. Why, why not? It's, it's so important. Why doesn't he tell us about Jesus sending his disciples out? Here's the thing. I think he's doing it right here in chapter 21. John 21 is how John tells the church about the Great Commission. And it's why... It's so important for his gospel and why it certainly belongs. We saw a while back, it might be a couple years ago, so it's okay if you forget sermons after a couple years. But in the second, we had a sermon in the second half of, of John 21 on Peter's restoration. And we saw how he was restored for Christ's mission as the leader of the disciples and that in that restoration, the mission of the church is propelled. In the first 14 verses of this chapter, we've got John telling us something special about the mission of the church, too. In this miracle, in this fishing expedition, in this miraculous catch of fish, the disciples are a microcosm of the church here. It's the start of the church, the church in its infancy. We find them together at the beginning of this chapter, not scattered around. Why is that? Well, it's because of the miracle we saw last week, because Jesus rose from the dead. And this is actually another more subtle proof of the resurrection in the Bible. If the disciples believed Jesus were dead, why would they all be together? They would have scattered and gone on to their own lives, to do their own thing. They haven't scattered. They're together. They're a group. But they don't really know what to do. Peter, the leader, impatient as he always is, isn't willing to wait for Jesus' next appearance. This is the third appearance now. He's always got to be doing something. He's always thinking. It always results in some action. And he says, let's spend the time by fishing. He's leading, but really not so well. What John is telling us with this account is that the activity that they are really supposed to be about is what Jesus had told them early on when he called them. I'm going to make you more than regular fishermen. I'm going to make you fishers of men. So they're hanging out, they're together, but they're not really engaged in what Jesus has called them to do. The result is their activity results in nothing. They catch nothing. They fail. You know, John is writing to another a generation after the other Gospels. And we could kind of speculate that maybe 
the church in his day was getting a little complacent about their mission. And now John, when he's writing, is hitting at the Great Commission from a different angle with this fishing metaphor so that they get back on track and seek the lost. Maybe the people of the church of his day, like can happen to the church today, maybe they had forgotten their focus. Maybe they were being complacent. Maybe they were just sitting on the dock waiting for the fish to jump out of the water into their laps. I've been learning a little bit about fishing. I don't know a whole lot, but I know that that doesn't work. Does that work, boys and girls, to sit on the dock? Will the fish jump into your lap? They will not. You can't peer into the water and say, here, fishy, 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 come on out, and then I can eat you. That's not how it is. And that's not how it goes with our mission either. We are to actively go after the fish. We're to actively reach the people. And I believe that's what's going on in this text. I believe that's the key to this miracle. Jesus, John is reminding us of the mission of the church. It's his version of the Great Commission. And he's showing us throughout this miracle that Jesus needs to be at the center of the mission of the church. How do we reach the people? How do we be fishers of men with Jesus at the center? So the question tonight is, how is Jesus at the center of the mission of the church? How is Jesus to be at the center of what we're called to do, reaching men and women and boys and girls with Jesus? One, we need Jesus desperately to accomplish the mission. We need Jesus to accomplish the mission. Verse 5 is one of those many times in the Gospels and before a miracle that Jesus asks an overly obvious question. It's a question where the answer's obvious. He already knows the answer to it. The answer is obvious to the people that he's asking. Friends, haven't you any fish? And the answer is obvious. No, we don't. We've been out all night. Nothing. You know that, Jesus. Why does Jesus ask the obvious here? And why does he do it sometimes regularly in the Gospels? He does it to draw out and make very obvious our need for him. To make very plain to us what our situation is like without him in the picture. We're in trouble. We've got nothing. We're blind. We're lame. We're spiritually empty. Our activities will result in nothing of any significance. We won't accomplish anything. He's coming into the picture, onto the scene, showing them with this question where they're at without him, making it painfully obvious, making it painfully obvious to dullards like the disciples and dullards like you and me. We'll just be spinning our wheels without friends. Haven't you any fish? Uh, No. Friends, how's your marriage working out trying to do it on your own in your own way? Um, Not so well. How's it going raising your kids in your own strength? Ah. It's pretty rough. How, how, about, how about even uh, your work and volunteering in the church, doing it without me? Seems 
pretty unfulfilling, Lord. I'm just not feeling the joy. Jesus says, friends, can you see it? You need me in the picture. You need me in your life. Be dependent on me. Don't do anything without me in your own strength. Second, we need Jesus to accomplish the mission. Second, we must listen to the voice of Jesus to accomplish the mission of the church. Jesus gives a very clear instruction in verse 6. They follow, they listen, success, a huge number of fish. There will be success when we listen to the voice of Jesus. When we listen and obey, we listen, we follow. That's true in your personal walk and serving and living. It's true for the church of Jesus Christ. We can say and we can acknowledge, yeah, we need Jesus easily enough, but it's another thing to actually listen. It's another thing to actually listen and obey. You know, you and I, his disciples today, we have access to his voice every day. Whenever we open his word and read it and follow it, a church that needs Jesus, it says it needs Jesus, but doesn't prioritize God's word, the Bible, a church like that may accomplish something, but it won't be accomplishing God's mission. We need to listen to Jesus' voice. The center of worship is God's word. We listen to Jesus together like this. What do you have for me, Lord? Please tell me what to do. We can't expect an audible voice or a verse for every little decision of our life or for each church ministry decision. But his word is clear. Through his word and prayer, God has given us just the divine direction we need for living and serving, and we have the direction we need for accomplishing what he wants us to As a church, our mission statement, those three E's, were built on what we believe the Bible clearly says about the church. It doesn't mean it always happens immediately, that direction, and and hearing his voice clearly and what it's saying. It's always in his time, but you listen and follow. Jesus said to throw the nets on, was it the right side of the boat, I think? On the right side of the boat, you'll find fish. It could just as well have been the left side. He could have said, throw your net out the back of the boat. It doesn't matter. Whatever Jesus says clearly, that's what you do. We obey. Maybe you feel like Jesus has no mission or calling or work for you right now. Nothing. Are you listening? Go to him prayerfully. He has something for each one of us. And in addition to have something for us, he also has the way for us to accomplish what he has for us. We listen. We obey. Sometimes it takes patience and time. A third point here about the mission and the ministry of the church and Jesus Jesus is the one who will ultimately do the work. 
Jesus accomplishes the miracle in our text. And Jesus is the one who accomplishes the miracle that goes on in our hearts and in our lives of new life and salvation. We have work to do. We're called to catch the fish. We're called to sow the word, spread the gospel. We're called to love others with the love of Jesus. We're called to serve wherever he calls us to in the world, advancing his kingdom. But we are servants. We are the stewards. He's the master. He's the Lord. He's the owner. Salvation, it's his work from beginning to end. We're faithful stewards, and then we leave the rest to him. In John 21, of course, Jesus has just returned fresh from accomplishing the very center of his work. He suffered. He died at the cross. Three days later, he rose victoriously. He defeated Satan and sin. Mission, the mission was accomplished. He did the work of atonement for sin. And he'll see his work through to completion in your heart and life. And in this church and in the world, that's a guarantee that the cross and resurrection give us. Now, there's one more final item, and it's really kind of all leading us here. One more item as we see Jesus propelling the mission of the church with this microcosm of the church, the disciples there. We're shown that the goal and the point of the mission of the church is fellowship with Jesus. Jesus arrived in their need. They listened and obeyed. And then they have fellowship with him. That's the point of that meal on the lakeshore, those last verses. Mealtimes were about a lot more than eating in the Bible. They were about fellowship. And we experience that too, but not, not as much in our day when we can get a burger through a drive-through just like that. Back then, whether it was bread or meat or whatever you had, it had to be prepared. It took time. It took hours, and you fellowshiped as you prepared and then eight. You experience one another's company. Uh, Sarah and I had that in a really beautiful way, uh, I thought, with my sister and her husband just a little over a week ago. Uh, Sarah and my sister Rebecca planned this great meal. It took uh, the latter part of the afternoon till about 6, 6.37 to prepare. There were beets and turnips and carrots that were cut up and roasted in the oven meat stuffed with spices, grilled to absolute perfection by you-know-who. We fellowshiped in our kitchen. We fellowshiped spilling out into the backyard. Even the kids were part of it, shucking corn and playing. And all the while, the food was getting closer and closer to being done. It was so fun. It was wonderful. We've, we've got a really cozy and intimate scene here. You look at verse 9. They saw a fire of burning coals there. 
with the fish on it and some bread. You might imagine that you're up north to Canada and you caught some walleye and you're putting those fresh fish over the fire. It's delicious. The fresh fish outdoors, it doesn't get much better than that. Jesus says, come and have breakfast. He took bread and he gave it to them. It's almost like communion. And, and the word for fellowship is, is koinonia. And we translate that always with fellowship or communion. This is really similar to that post-resurrection dinner in Luke with the men on the road to Emmaus. Remember that, how he broke bread and he was revealed in that? And they had this fellowship. And look at where things go from the beginning of our chapter to the end. Verse 4, they did not realize it was Jesus. To verse 12, they knew it was the Lord. They knew it was him. Fellowship, truly meeting the Savior. There's true fellowship when we follow Jesus with one another, certainly. That's the true fellowship of believers. We have fellowship not around superficial things or material things, but around Jesus. He brings us together. It's the fellowship of the saints that we have in a special way with fellow Christians. But also, especially, fellowship with Jesus himself. That's what people need in this world, and they're called to have. That's the whole point of the mission of the church of Jesus. It's so people have a relationship with the Lord. That's the point of everything that we do together. Don't forget it. An intimate relationship with our Lord, our friend, our brother, Jesus. And it's a gracious invitation that Jesus gives here, when he says, come, as he does in other places too, come. That's where all of our work leads to, this gracious invitation, inviting others to meet Jesus himself. That's what it's all about. The mission is to lead to fellowship. And in fact, the fellowship only happens when we are about the mission. If we're If we're engaged in our own thing, our own ideas, our own kingdom building, then the the right result won't be there. But we'll experience true fellowship with one another and with Jesus himself when we're involved in his mission. When we're listening to him, following him, obeying him, leading others to him. There's a real fellowship and communion and intimacy. You know, people look for relationships in in intimate connections in all sorts of ways. You know how you're going to have it in your life. It's by being part of the mission of God, being busy and active with his people in the church. Jesus wants us to be fishers of men and women and boys and girls today. That's our mission. That's our calling to accomplish it. Jesus needs to be at the center. He needs to be there from the beginning. He needs to be the end goal, meeting Jesus himself. May the Holy Spirit give us a vision and a passion to be about the mission of God, leading to a relationship with Jesus himself. May we be about that right here.